Hello, everybody. Andrew Gamason here with the Speaking Firm podcast. I am super grateful that you have chosen to join us again today, and I'm excited that we are wrapping up our series on the five solas of the Reformation today with Soli Deo Gloria, or for the glory of God alone. And incidentally, there was a South African Olympic swimmer uh, that was swimming in this Olympics with that phrase posted on her swim cap, actually. And so it was a public example of her faith in Christ. And apparently she uses Instagram for that purpose as well. So I was just really encouraged by that as we lead into this show about for the glory of God alone. And we'll get into that topic in just a few moments. But first, I want to talk to you about what is going on. This first story deals with a farmer in Charlotte, Michigan, which is about 22 miles away from East Lansing. And this farmer had gone to a farmer's market for years and then was told that they could no longer be a part of the farmer's market because of their religious beliefs. Should someone who believes that marriage is the union between one man and one woman be forbidden from earning a living? Surprising question, right? In America, everyone has civil rights, regardless of their beliefs. It goes for political beliefs, but also our religious and moral beliefs, including beliefs that go to the core of who we are and how to build our families and live our lives. But what if the government decided it didn't agree with your beliefs and it wanted to punish you by excluding you from making a living? Take the example of Steve Tennis, Country Mill Farms, and the city of East Lansing, Michigan. Running his family farm isn't just Steve Tennis's way of making a living. It's his way of sharing the most important thing in his life, his love for God. It's this love that inspires him and his family to serve their neighbors. Steve's family has donated thousands of pounds of apples from their orchards to local food banks. They provide quality housing on their own farm next to their house for guest workers, and they've shared and lived out their faith as they've served their many customers and visitors at the farm. One way Steve expresses his love for God proved to be a problem with a few powerful people in the nearby city of East Lansing. For six years, the Tennis family attended a farmer's market in East Lansing to sell their farm's produce. They loved providing fresh produce to people, and the people loved their organic fruit and vegetables. Year after year, the family was praised as a top vendor at the farmer's market, and the city invited them to return. One day, someone asked Steve on his farm's Facebook page to explain his views on marriage. He gave an honest answer consistent with his religious belief that marriage is a sacred union between one man and one woman. City officials, upon seeing this post, were offended. They set out to banish Steve from the farmer's market. How? By creating a new rule that allowed them to punish Steve for expressing his religious views about what weddings he can celebrate on his family farm, which is located 22 miles outside the city. Of course, Steve answering a question on Facebook about his view of marriage has absolutely nothing to do with selling apples at the farmer's market. And Steve had always followed all market rules and always served everyone. Two things the city agrees with. The city adopted the rule for one reason, 
to penalize Steve for what he believed. You see, Steve and his family are Catholic, and because they are Catholic, they believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. The same belief about marriage held by every major religion and by millions of people around the world and throughout history. But one city official said these beliefs are ridiculous, horrible, hateful. Another official said that to defend traditional marriage is the same as defending racist Jim Crow laws. Even the mayor weighed in, criticizing Steve for his Catholic view on marriage. Unless they stopped holding to those ridiculous beliefs, Steve and his family were officially banned from the market, even though they did nothing wrong. Steve and his family welcome everyone to their farm and sell their fruit to anyone, no matter who they are. In fact, the Tennis family farm is in another town, miles from the East Lansing city limits. Think about that. If you don't believe the right things, according to city officials, you shouldn't be allowed to earn a living. Now, if that seems unfair to you, like it flies in the face of the Constitution unfair, you're not alone. Steve thought so too. He sued the city of East Lansing and asked to be protected from the city's unjust actions. It took years, and the city fought back. Along the way, a judge temporarily allowed the Dennis's family farm to return to the East Lansing farmer's market. As one of Steve's advocates at Alliance Defending Freedom put it, all Americans should be free to live and speak according to their deeply held religious beliefs without fear of unjust government punishment. City officials in East Lansing somehow forgot this. Hopefully, the court will enter a final ruling that reminds them of this obvious truth. I just want to make a couple observations about this story. And the first one is that it came up on my Facebook as something where there had been a federal court that recently heard the case. So they're waiting to hear the decision of the federal court. And it's already been going on for at least two years, this this legal battle, and will we'll maybe go on longer because whatever side wins this court battle, the other side will go back to court against them until uh, we get maybe to the Supreme Court, although I'm not sure if the Supreme Court would take this case that's really what often happens in these cases is that the Supreme Court becomes the final arbiter of what is legal and what is right, especially in areas of religious discrimination. And just a couple of general observations. First of all is the fact that this choice to ban him from the farmer's market came from a direct question on his Facebook page for his business. Now, the reason this was asked was because in more than just being a farm, he is a wedding venue. So I guess from that standpoint, it makes sense that the question was asked. But I feel like in some ways, this reminds me of other situations that are basically a setup. Uh, one famous example that comes to mind is when Kirk Cameron was on a talk show a few years ago and asked about his position on marriage. You know, the, the fight for legalized gay marriage went on for several years. And Kirk Cameron was asked his position on marriage. 
Now, anyone that had been following Kirk for any length of time knows that he is a born-again Christian that believes in the sanctity of marriage. So it appeared that the reason for asking the question was to get him on record on the air saying that marriage is between one man and one woman so that the people that asked the question could openly criticize him because, ah, we have him on tape disagreeing with the secular agenda. And this seems like a very similar story to that, where somebody wanted to get him on record um, as being against this expression of marriage, which he believes is under the biblical purview of one man, one woman for a lifetime. That's the first observation. The second observation that I would make is what they said in there about them eagerly serving everyone when it came to their farm goods. They do not believe, as is erroneously held by some, that they have a right to discriminate who gets the use of their produce. They give it to everyone freely, regardless of their religious beliefs. Religious beliefs have nothing to do with buying produce or needing sustenance. However, when it comes to being a wedding venue, that is different. Because that speaks directly to a religious belief. And here's the weirdest thing about this issue. All through this COVID epidemic, and even through the years, we hear excuses like a private business can make whatever rules they want for their business. Like that's like that's the excuse. This is actually a better example. That's the excuse that is often thrown out for Facebook when they censor people's content from their platform. They say, well, we're a private entity, so therefore we have an opportunity to say, what does or does not belong on our platform. So if Facebook has that right, why does the family in this video and in this story, the tennis family, not have the ability to decide who can get married in their venue? I mean, it goes beyond whether you're straight or you're gay. Ultimately, if if you have a good or a service and you don't feel comfortable serving someone, you have the purview to not serve them and for, and they have the opportunity to go somewhere else who will serve them. Now, let me be very clear when I say that I don't think that's an excuse for discrimination because I know people say, well, that's like saying that you're not going to serve someone who is black. Except that this is an issue that goes directly against a tenant of their deeply held religious faith. It's not something they manufactured out of whole cloth. It's a long-held belief by almost every major religion, in the West at least, and even many around the world, that marriage is a sacred institution and that it should be upheld. 
So, but you have this problem of people distorting the truth. It's kind of like what I was talking about with the voting bills on this podcast previously. People who are fighting against the Texas and the Georgia voting reform bills, they say, well, you're trying to stop people from being able to legally vote. You're trying to cut down on the rights that people have to legally vote. And that's that's not the truth. The truth is that they're saying the things that you were doing last year for the 2020 election were not legal. And so we are going to curtail those, the things that aren't legal, by making a law that states what is legal. You know, the Founding Fathers, I know I say this a lot on the podcast, but it's true. The Founding Fathers based a lot of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution on things that were unalienable rights. They were self-evident truths. And so many, so much truth is not self-evident now. And so that's why the need comes in to codify it legally. And to, to state it publicly and boldly when it comes to religious freedom. Because the, the interesting thing about this is there could be 99 wedding venues that would serve whatever homosexual couple made this complaint, but they don't care about those 99 venues. They only care about the one venue that has a farmer with a Christian worldview about the word of God who wants to encourage biblical marriage by having a nice venue where people can get married. The second part of this is whether the farmer's market should have anything to do with a wedding venue 22 miles outside of town. And this is why I, this is why I feel it's sort of an entrapment thing because they're asking on the farm's Facebook page. They didn't call him up and ask this. They asked him on his Facebook page, what is your view on marriage? And I'm not saying that he shouldn't have answered honestly. I'm not saying I wouldn't have answered honestly. I think it's important to answer honestly. But what happened when he was able to do that is they were able to point to proof that he was discriminating. Now, from the story that I read, he was not discriminating when it came to distributing his produce. He was not discriminating at the farmer's market. It's sort of like the wedding cake cases we've heard in the past. I know there was at least one wedding cake case where this gay couple was regular customers of this bakery and they, and they sold to them all the time. But when it came to making a cake for their wedding, something that went against their religious beliefs, their long-held, strongly-held religious beliefs, then they said, no, we're not going to go that far. We're not going to do that thing. 
because they were being consistent to the beliefs that they held. Not because they were being hateful, but because they were being consistent to the beliefs that they held. And God did promise us that if we stood for truth, we would be discriminated against. I understand that. But the other fact of being an American is that we do have constitutional rights. And a lot of times people are scared into believing that they don't have the right to do this or that. But we have a court system through which we can fight for our legal rights. So I'm praying for the tennis family to win a victory here and to hopefully win an ultimate victory to be able to continue to serve at the East Lansing Farmer's Market. The other aspect of the story that I found intriguing was that they basically couldn't find a rule to bar him from being there on that basis. So they made up a new rule. They literally created a new rule after he had already been at the Farmer's Market for a time. They created a new rule that said what he was doing was no longer allowed. Who does that sound like? That sounds like, to me, Daniel in the lion's den. Very quickly, Daniel prayed to God every day, three times a day, through an open window, without fail. His fellow wise men were jealous of him because he had the wisdom of God and so he proved himself to be superior to them and he was placed over them and they were jealous. So they were trying to find anything they could to trip him up and they couldn't find anything. So they decide to go after the thing that was the most important to Daniel and that was his relationship to God. So they go to the king and they say, O king, live forever. And then they convinced the king that for 30 days no one should pray to anyone but the king. And why did they do this? Because they knew that Daniel would be faithful. They knew that he would break that. And they set it up so that whoever broke that rule would be thrown into a den of lions. And they said, we've got Daniel now because we know he's not going to give up praying just because it's illegal. And it was for the very purpose of entrapment. Of course, they failed. God preserved Daniel. He shut the mouths of the lions. And lest we believe that there might have been something wrong with the lions, we are later shown in the same scripture that after Daniel is rescued from the lion's den, he is pulled up and the people that sentenced Daniel to the lion's den, they are thrown into the lion's den and they are eaten before they hit the ground. That is the God with whom we have to do. He preserved Daniel and then Daniel's enemies were made to pay the consequences. So we know the ultimate victory belongs to God. But as I've said many times on this podcast, I think that we need to make sure that we know the Constitution, that we know our rights, and that we are willing 
to fight for them. If a law changes and makes something illegal, we need to be willing to do something illegal if it means pleasing God. We, we do. But as long as we have legal rights to do these godly things, we should go through the legal system to do our best to preserve them. We are in a unique position here in America to have the liberties that we've been given, and we should not squander them. I also wanted to share with you a little bit of a clip from a young man by the name of Elijah Lamb. And sometimes, you know, I'm just searching through social media and God brings something to my attention that just inspires me. And that's the case with this clip. Uh, This young man, Elijah Lamb, he was looking uh, for a way to share the gospel, particularly with his generation. All right, so what's up, everybody? Um, my name is Elijah Lamb. If you've never been to TikTok Bible study, it's so awesome to have you here. You guys are the best. And um, yeah, so tonight we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. Elijah Lamb is a 17-year-old preacher, but he doesn't share the gospel from a typical pulpit. How come when these people say they believe Jesus and then a month later they're back on, they're back doing drugs, they're back having sex, they're back doing all these different things because they don't understand the principle that we desire God and not simply what he can give us and that includes eternity. All this stuff on the wall, a lot of this is notes that I've received over time. This one's from my dad. He basically was just telling me, um, he was proud of me and that he saw that God was doing great things through me. Some of my family is religious as me. Uh, my dad is an elder at my church. Um, my mom, her life radically changed. She reads the Bible now more than anyone I know. So I grew up going to church. Um, but like most people, I was, I was very nominal. Like it was, I attend church on Sundays, but uh, Jesus was never real to me. Uh, I definitely was not always a preacher. I definitely, this was not the lifestyle I was living. Um, but I went with my grandparents on a mission trip in Mexico and my life just totally changed there. Lamb takes a more modern spin on educating young Christians and potential converts through TikTok. Hi, I'm Elijah, and I'm today I'm here to be controversial. Bro, Jesus didn't die so you could try and handle your sin on your own. Marriage. He started posting Christian apologetic videos on his TikTok last summer, with some reaching millions of views. Just basically telling God, like, I want to preach, but I don't have anywhere to do it. And then boom. I go up on TikTok and I was like, okay, here's an opportunity for me to do this, for me to preach every week. And I was just really encouraged by Elijah's story. The video that I shared the clip from is actually about, I think, 15 or 20 minutes long, somewhere in that range. And so there's a lot more information. Um, and as far as I know, the video that I shared was from a secular news outlet but I really liked the way the gospel shined through and I did some more research and found a sermon of his on YouTube. So I'd encourage you to search him up on YouTube. Um, he seems to be a very sound um, teacher of the gospel. Uh, and as he says at one point in the video that he feels like he's in a unique position to be able to reach his um generation with the gospel. And I'm the first person to say that I sometimes get skeptical about that because I'm like, 
well, are we just doing the feel good parts of the gospel? But when I, when I watched the full length sermon by him that I found on YouTube, he really emphasized something that I emphasize here on the podcast often, which is Jesus does say, come as you are, but he doesn't leave you there. And he actually used that phrase when he was preaching out of uh, the book of John chapter 8 and talking about the woman caught in adultery. Um, The fact that Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but he also said, go and sin no more. And so I was just really encouraged by that. And so I wanted to share that with you. Um, So Elijah, if you end up hearing this someday, I just want to encourage you to keep on keeping on, stay in the word, stay grounded, don't be afraid to preach the truth, even if it's unpopular. And uh, I think that's something that really resonated with me, was he's like, there's hope in the brokenness, but first you have to admit you're broken and that you can't do it on your own. And that's something that I've been trying to convey for the last almost nine years, of the Speaking Firm podcast. Our main segment today, as I mentioned earlier, is on the last of the five solas, So Deo Gloria. And so I am very excited to dig into this with you. Let's start with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Warren W. Wearsby, who says, Daniel gave all the glory to God. He took none of it for himself. There is no limit to what God can do for the believer who will let God alone have all the glory. And I just really resonate with this because I know in my own life, when I let pride get in the way, I'm really limited in what I can do. But if I let God work in me, that's when exciting things happen. Um, you know, I, I, I've repeated this, this verse a lot, but I'll repeat it again here. For it is God who worketh in you, both the will and to do of his good pleasure. Um, you know, I, I, I think about my favorite scriptures and theme verses for my life. And if I really thought about it, as I've probably said before on this show, there's probably hundreds of favorites. I can say, well, that that's kind of my favorite, and that's kind of my favorite. But Philippians 2.11 uh, is definitely one of those verses um, because it really shows the power. Uh, we don't have the power within ourselves to do the good things that God calls us to do. But with him working through us, we do. And so, my first point on this idea of glory to God alone is, we were created to glorify God. Even everyone that is called by my name for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Isaiah 43, 7. So if you ever doubt that why you were made, go to this verse. 
It says we are made for God's glory. Therefore, you were not made as a mistake. There was a very specific reason. The psalmist puts it this way, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I am fearfully and wonderfully made that my soul knows right well. We were made fearfully and wonderfully to show forth his beauty, to show forth his glory. The next one is, as we grow in righteousness, we bring glory to God. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So I think it's interesting how he's talking about how we he's hoping that his his children in the faith, these Philippians, will abound yet more in knowledge and all judgment, that these are things that we will seek to become as believers, that we will be knowledgeable and that we will have love, and that we will have all judgment, and that we would approve excellent things, that we would be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. And then he says, how do you do this? Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. You know that we mentioned on previous episodes of this series and on even more episodes of this podcast, that we are not naturally good, any one of us. And so what is the answer? The answer is that the goodness that we are capable of comes to us through the Spirit of God. So God gives us the power to do good, and that doing good brings glory to God. It's it's a reciprocal cycle. It's a symbiotic relationship. And it's just so neat how God lets everything be done decently and in order. The next one is, our good works can cause others to glorify God. Matthew 5.16, part of the Sermon on the Mount says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And this one is really exciting. Uh, it may seem uh, cliche or rudimentary to those of us who have been in the faith for a long time, but I think one of the interesting and fun things about going back through some of these scriptures is realizing the true depth of them, even though we are familiar, familiar with them. I think familiarity breeds... Apathy is applicable here. And uh, so I hope that as we are digging in, that this helps you gain a greater appreciation for them. And when we think about it in this context, we think, well, 
these good works aren't just something I have to do just to please God for the purpose of pleasing God and making sure I do enough good works. No, that's not what it's about. We, we've already established um, through this series that there's no way in and of ourselves that we can be enough. We need grace alone. We need faith alone. We need Christ alone. We need the scriptures to have a balanced view of the truth. All those things contribute to to being the full and robust Christian that God calls us to be. So what is it saying? It's saying that if we do works out of a humble heart, then we are shining our light of Jesus to other people. I I would amend this to say, especially when we do those good works for people that we have a hard time getting along with. Because another part of the Sermon on the Mount says it's easy to do good to our friends. It's a total another thing to do good things to our enemies. And so when we respond uh, with, when we overcome evil with good, we are given a unique opportunity to show forth the truth of the gospel because that is exactly what Jesus did. He died on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And that is amazing to me. And what's more amazing to me is that he began to do that immediately. God didn't waste time in answering that heartfelt prayer, which is another evidence of the fact that whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. The reason that prayer was so readily answered for Jesus was because it was according to the will of God the Father. Glorifying God shows our gratitude for his sacrifice. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about the fact that as it says in 1 Corinthians 6.20, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Think about that. When Jesus was on that cross that I just spoke of, you and I were on his mind. He died to free us from sin and to give us eternal life. He was made sin who knew no sin, so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And when we contemplate that great sacrifice, it makes it a whole lot easier to shun sin. Let me be very clear. We're not going to get to a place, this side of glory, where we will not have some struggles. The old man is still present with us. But we have to have a constant exercise of putting off bad habits, putting off the bad things that we do, and putting on good things, as it talks about in Colossians chapter 3. That is how we can have the victory, and that is how God can have glory alone. He says in another scripture, I'm a jealous God. I will not share 
my glory with another. And the difference between him saying I'm jealous and me saying I'm jealous is that he's the creator. He made everything in the world. He made me. He made you. And so that's why he gets to decide what we do. How we fulfill our calling. I honestly think that's the biggest reason why atheists exist. Because if they concede that there's a God, then they might have to have responsibility before that God. But if they can convince themselves there is no God, then there's no one to be responsible to for how we live our lives. And I think that is really the cultural fight in a nutshell today. And so I hope that as we put our armor on every day, the armor of God, that we are thinking along those lines. Incidentally, I do have a series on the armor of God in my archive, so I'd encourage you to search that out and listen to that if you need some encouragement in this area. And then finally, we are called to glorify God in all we do. You know, sometimes people compartmentalize Non-Christians will say, well, if you're a Christian running for politics, then you sh- your faith shouldn't play a role in, in running for office. Um, and, you know, they'll compartmentalize. They'll say, people will say, well, Christians can have a, a view that is pro-abortion because that's not essential to salvation. But the Bible says that we're to glorify God in all we do. So whether it's politics, whether it's social issues like the pro-life issue, they must be in line with the Bible. And along those lines, I think that, that people will say, people will say that, you know, if you're teaching people, if you're having an influence on people, specifically in an educational setting, they shouldn't know your political affiliation. If they know your political affiliation, then you failed as a teacher. And I understand what what the overall point is. The point is that we shouldn't hit people over the head with our beliefs. But I would counter that slightly by saying that our moral beliefs inform our political beliefs. Political issues are at their core moral issues. So I don't think that you can separate those things. If we talk about American history, why did the pilgrims come to America? They came for religious freedom. They wanted to serve God the way they wanted to serve God, apart from the organized Church of England. The American colonists came for much the same way. They wanted to be able to serve God as free and independent states. 
Okay, this is why they came to America. And so to say that the moral and the political separate is just not the right way to go. This last verse says we need to glorify God in all we do. So if we're eating, we need to glorify God by taking care of our bodies, by paying our wait staff, by being polite to the restaurant staff and, and, and the cooks that help us when we go out to eat, especially after this long-standing pandemic where so many of them have been out of work and so many restaurants are understaffed, we need to show the love of Christ to those people and be patient. We also need to show godliness on the road when adhering to speed limits, when dealing with our road rage. And we also need to show a godly worldview and reverence when we step into the ballot box. Because we need to look at all the issues from a biblical lens. We need to think about things like marriage because the way God defines marriage and family is the foundation of society. If you want to know why society's crumbling, it's because we don't know what a family is now. We look we look at the American family and we don't know which way is up. How can we ever hope to curtail violence in our streets? Shootings in our schools. And things like that. Things of that nature. If we say you can kill your unborn child. I mean, seriously and honestly, think about that. Think about what you are conveying. When you say, I don't want violence, but I have no problem with one of the most violent acts that could possibly take place continuing to be legal. That's a problem, folks. So, in review, we've looked at Sodeo Gloria today. For the glory of God alone. We talked first of the example of Daniel in Warren Wiersbe's quote. In a sermon recently, I talked about the fact that the reason that Daniel and also Joseph, two Old Testament heroes, were able to do so much for God was not because they had this great skill interpreting dreams. It was because when they were asked to interpret dreams, they said, God knows the interpretation. They gave credit to God, and so he was able to take what they gave him in surrendering surrendering themselves to God. He was able to take what they gave him 
and he was able to use it for his glory. Then we moved on to the main points of the day, and we talked about we are created to glorify God. That is the very essence of being a human being, is being created to glorify God. Now, we live in a fallen world now. Genesis chapter 3 started the curse of sin in the world. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, sin has traveled through the seed of Adam and created havoc for us. But the original intent was that we would be made in the image of God to serve him and be in fellowship with him forever. As we grow in righteousness, we bring glory to God. God's purpose, as is stated in Romans, is to conform us to the image of his Son. That's the purpose of suffering, that's the purpose of trials, that's the purpose of challenges in life, is to conform us to his image. So as we grow in righteousness, we bring glory to God. And then we continued on, and we saw that our good works can cause others to glorify God. So we're bringing glory to God by producing fruits of righteousness as we walk closely with the Lord, and that result is that others glorify God. In other words, the glory of God is contagious. The glory of God spreads. When we give God the glory, people are changed. Billy Graham said that when one person acts courageously, the spines of those around them are stiffened. When we bring glory to God, it brings others to God. If we bring glory to ourselves, it brings others to us, but not to him. Then we saw glorifying God shows our gratitude for his sacrifice. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, if I am a believer in Jesus Christ today, then the reality is that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on Calvary. And if that's the case, how can we do anything else or anything less than seeking to serve him with our whole hearts? Now, obviously, we still struggle. David who was termed by God in the New Testament. So after his life, he was termed by God, and in the New Testament, a man after God's own heart, he still had his struggles with sin. So I'm not sitting here telling you that if you surrender to God, you won't have any struggles with sin. That's not the reality. But the reality is that as you surrender to God, and as you allow him to use you, he will give you the power to resist sin. We used to be slaves of sin. We used to have no choice but to sin. And now we have a glorious choice to choose righteousness by the power of the Spirit of God. That's an amazing opportunity that we have. And then finally we learned that we are called to glorify God in all we do. This is not a compartmentalized faith. 
This is something that counts whether I'm at a baseball game with a friend or whether I'm at Culver's eating a burger or whether I'm stepping into the voting booth. It counts for all of it. And so I hope that as we have considered soul Deo glory for the glory of God alone, I hope that that changes your perspective or at least enhances your perspective and encourages you to go full bore for the kingdom of God. Jesus loves you. He wants to do great things through you. But there's only room for one on the throne of your life. Either it's him, the one who created you, so knows what you were meant to do, or it's you. Those those are really only the two the only two choices. I mean, to put a to put a darker spin on it, I suppose you can give the devil um, reign in your life, but I think the devil is already winning when. We put self in charge because he knows that our self is weak. He knows that we will not succeed. And his goal is to steal, to kill, and to destroy us. Because he hates the image of God. I'm convinced that's why abortion is such a big issue today. Because the devil hates the very image Well, that's about all I have for you this week. I just want to encourage you to share this uh, episode or any episodes in this series with your friends. They're available free of charge on my website at all times. And make sure that you send me feedback with the contact information that is about to roll. And with that, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.